Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk today with Congressman Ro Khanna, who represents Silicon Valley in Washington, but who has also been spending a lot of time thinking about the Midwest. In his new book, Dignity in a Digital Age, he talks about the opportunities to grow life here in the Midwest. He's going to join us today to talk about what those ideas are and how we can bring about better equity with the coasts. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We talk about a lot of things here on Detroit Today, but there's one theme that seems to come up again and again and again. Geography. And I don't just mean our discussions about politics in Detroit or in the state of Michigan. We specifically talk about the importance of place and placement and how much location matters in determining life outcomes. More and more, where you grow up determines all kinds of things about your life, like your educational outcomes and the income that you might make as an adult. It's also a pretty big indicator of your status, of the social networks you're able to maintain, and holistically, how you fare as a human being. At this point, it's obvious to so many that America's coasts, places like California or New York or Boston, have a lot of jobs and a lot of people. And they have a lot of fun activities and amenities that drive lots of people to want to live in those areas. And that gives people who live in those areas a real advantage. But the Midwest, where we live, is kind of struggling by contrast. We're busy trying to rebuild and recreate an economy and attract new people as the country shifts away from the industrialized work that once really sustained and built cities like Detroit. The automotive industry still rules in a lot of ways, but there aren't a lot of other industries that are attracting hundreds of thousands or even thousands of workers to places in the Midwest. Diversifying our workforce, attracting more people, that is really a big part of what we think about here in the state of Michigan and in Detroit. And, of course, we're not alone. Much of the Midwest, small towns scattered across the country, and rural areas were all navigating the same challenges. There are some politicians who have been focusing on this issue with more fervor than others. Interestingly, though, one representative who seems really focused on the problem doesn't represent us here in the Midwest. Instead, he lives in California's Silicon Valley, literally the center of the tech universe. This past summer, Congressman Ro Khanna took a tour through the Midwest, though. He met with workers, union retirees, and local officials to try to better understand our spaces and to find a way to make our technology-advancing economy work better for more people in places like this. Kana has a word for this inclusivity. He calls it economic patriotism. He's recently written about his ideas in a book called Dignity in a Digital Age, Making Tech Work for All of Us. And in it, he talks about the ways we can attract more jobs and more people and more opportunities to places like Detroit, and Michigan, and 
the Midwest. He writes that, quote, no person should be forced to leave their hometown to find a decent job that is foundational to the American promise. But how do we do that? How do we make that real? How do we solve this now decades-long problem that seems to be speeding up? How do we prevent businesses and researchers from moving to the coasts and leaving their towns and cities behind? And how do we attract more people from other places to places like Michigan? That's where we want to begin the conversation today, talking about the differences between the Midwest and the coasts and how we bridge some of those gaps. And we have Congressman Ro Khanna here with us to talk about his experience and his new book. Congressman, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. That was one of the best uh, introductions of the themes of my book. So oh. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, it's a really wonderful read, and it's such an interesting idea. Uh, and you, uh, let's start here. Let's start here. You, you write about us being left out of our changing economy. So let's talk about that. Why are workers in the Midwest being left out? Why have so many jobs left the Midwest over the past 50 or 60 years? Well, there are two things that I think we did incorrectly as a nation. One, uh, we had this idea that production didn't matter, and we could just do the high-end work uh, in the United States. Uh, that was a mistake. Uh, we didn't invent the automobile. It was a German who invented it. We didn't invent the jet engine. It was a Britisher. But we figured out the mass production, of course, much of it in Michigan and Ohio and Indiana. The irony is we invented the semiconductor chip. Uh, we invented the solar uh, panel at Bell Labs. And we just said production didn't matter. And we let so much of our production uh, leave to uh, Asia, leave to uh, to Mexico, to other parts of uh, uh, the world. Uh, we need to fix that and bring back uh, production, and we're starting to do that with things like the CHIPS Act. The second thing is that the digital revolution, which has produced so much wealth. I mean, my district in Silicon Valley has $10 trillion of market value, Apple, Google, Intel, Yahoo. We, it's uh, accounted for millions of jobs. We allowed it to develop in the coast, and we told people, go move, not recognizing the attachment of place, uh, and we need to do a far better job uh, of providing those uh, opportunities in, in the digital economy uh, to people across the country. So, so I, I, there is something about what's happening and this gravitation of population and uh, wealth and economic activity to the coast that I, I think has a parallel to the rise of Midwestern industrial cities more than a century ago. Uh, when, when, when Henry Ford was innovating here in, in Detroit and, and steel magnets were, were figuring things out in, in Pittsburgh uh, and, and you had cities all over the place uh, embracing industrialization, there, there was a similar kind of uh, magnetism, I guess, that they had, and you had all kinds of people move to those places. What's different about what's happening now with people gravitating to the coasts than what happened then? I mean, we weren't complaining about that, of course, uh, here in Detroit back then. So, so what's the difference? Well, one, there was more interconnection with the economy back then. When manufacturing towns uh, did well, uh, the railroad towns did well, the coal towns did well. Uh, there was more of a, a networked uh, economy in the United States. Now, uh, when Google does well or Apple does well, it doesn't necessarily mean that Youngstown, uh, Ohio, uh, or Detroit does well. And so there is a, a gro much less of a sense of shared uh, prosperity. Uh, the second uh, difference is uh, that the uh, wealth generation of a manufacturing economy helped, of course, the, the PhDs and the CEOs, but it also created a lot of jobs for those who didn't have college degrees that were paying uh, $30 an hour uh, with health care. 
in in the digital economy, while the digital jobs uh, pay uh, almost seventy, eighty thousand uh, dollars, if you don't have one, and if you're working at a warehouse or you're working in logistics or in service jobs, uh, those jobs pay uh, at best often fifteen, sixteen dollars. So it's also led to much more wealth disparity. Hmm. So uh, before we get to some of the the, the more detailed uh, points and things that, that, that you make in the book and uh, the experiences you had traveling the Midwest, I want to talk just a bit about what it feels like to, to lose a job. Uh, part of what you're writing about here is dignity and the dignity associated with work and place. Um, can you talk about the loss of dignity and status that's associated with with losing work well this is what struck me as i was traveling the country i met uh, uh, fred uh, in anderson indiana who came up with a binder of uh, the 40 plant closings over 40 years uh, in just his life he was 80 years old and he said the loss of jobs wasn't just about the loss of jobs uh, for a particular family it was really the destruction of a community. It led to mental health issues. It led to divorce. Uh, it took away uh, common uh, activities, people who would bowl together or would uh, celebrate uh, Christmas together, Thanksgiving together, who knew each other's families. All of that was lost. And they were just told, okay, go retrain, go get some other job. But largely, uh, there was no real effort by the United States government in many of these towns. And by the way, they were white towns and they were black towns. The uh, image that sort of deindustrialization hurt uh, the white working class uh, the most is actually factually not true. Bill Spriggs at the AFL-CIO has a report that it hurt uh, black communities the most mm-hmm. because they uh, faced in the black South and in places like Milwaukee, uh, the largest consequences to these factory towns uh, being decimated. So so how do we flip this equation, I guess? Uh, how do we make innovative tech jobs more available in the Midwest? And, and I guess I would even start before that and say, is that the solution? Is, is part of the, the, the answer to this getting more of this tech boom to, to happen um, in places other than, than on the coast. Um, but also, how do we create more jobs for people, uh, make them more available, and increase the amount of jobs and people just in, in any place in the Rust Belt? I mean, what, what are the, the, the levers, I guess, that, uh, that we pull here? Well, I would say that we need to have a broader approach, which is where you started the interview, which is that place matters, Hmm. and that we need to have place-based economic development in this country. We saw communities and towns be decimated across America, and we really didn't do much. We said, well, that's the market. Uh, Go figure it out. We'll give you some retraining dollars, but we're not going to do much else. If we have a strategy of a comprehensive economic development and if we have a strategy that production uh, matters again, uh, then we can have an approach where we say, look, we need to make things in America. We should be making semiconductors here. We should be making the batteries for electric vehicles here. We should be making masks here. Uh, We can be doing the next generation of steel here, the thick steel that's going to be in, in, in windmills. We can have the new manufacturing processes here. And by the way, a lot of these jobs, even in production, are going to be technology jobs. A car is basically a computer on wheels. What are the types of digital jobs and how do we work with uh, our extraordinary land-grant institutions and places like Michigan, Michigan Tech, which I was just at a week ago, Michigan uh, University, uh, and the community colleges to make sure that that workforce uh, isn't all in Silicon Valley. I mean, the irony is that the auto companies have almost 3,000 people uh, employed in Silicon Valley. They don't. All those jobs don't need to be uh, in Silicon Valley. They can be more uh, distributed, uh, especially because those are high-paying jobs that are engines of wealth generation and have a multiplier effect. 
the bottom line is I think we need a much more peace-based focus uh, to our economic policy. Hmm. I'm talking with uh, Congressman Ro Khanna. He represents uh, Silicon Valley in Washington. Uh, he recently wrote a book called Dignity in a Digital Age, Making Tech Work for All of Us. We're talking about uh, the importance of uh, the kind of growth that we're seeing uh, on the coasts and away from places like uh, Detroit and Michigan, away from small towns and rural America, and how we include more of us uh, in that growth of the, this new economy. Um, as always, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Give us a call. Tell us uh, whether uh, we ought to be doing something that we aren't doing here in Michigan and Detroit to attract more tech jobs. It's something we talk about all the time here in Detroit, uh, the ways in which we need to invest in education, uh, invest in uh, opportunity, business opportunity to create more jobs, more tech jobs here. Are there things that maybe we're not thinking about? Or is it just that we know what we need to do and can't commit to, uh, to doing it? Uh, how do we get more people in our state to adapt to the kinds of science and learning and analytics that, uh, that drive so much of the economy uh, right now? And what's the best way to grow our population and add more high-paying jobs to places like Michigan. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation uh, that way. I want to talk just a little about uh, your trip through the Midwest and and to, to, to places other than the coast and the people you encountered um, and what they told you about what they needed and what they wanted. It's always uh, my impression that, that uh, things are kind of scattered in that way all over the place. Uh, and, and if you take the time to, to talk to people about it, there are a lot of different ideas uh, out there about how to, how to deal with this. It's just uh, it's about focus and, and commitment. But tell us about the people you met uh, along the way. Well, one of the uh, towns I visited was Gillsburg, Illinois. Uh, they had invited me at the small liberal arts college, Mammoth, uh, to give a talk on my book. And the instructor there said, can you talk to these folks where the Maytech factory left? I said, didn't that happen almost 20 years ago? Uh, and uh, he said, yes, but they want to meet with you. Uh, President Obama spoke about that eloquently in his famous 2004 keynote speech they made uh, dishwashers, refrigerators there, uh, that factory left for uh, for Mexico. What I was so struck by is people 20 years later saying, Congresses have gone and uh, come and gone, presidents have come and gone, our lives haven't changed, we're still telling our kids to leave, uh, we have no real uh, job prospects here uh, of high-paying jobs that have taken the place of the manufacturing. Many of them wanted new manufacturing and uh, you know, it's not, it wasn't inevitable that we lost our manufacturing base. Germany didn't. Germany still has 20% manufacturing. They ran trade surpluses. The last trade surplus we had was in 1975. So they wanted to see, can we revitalize that? But more than that, they just wanted opportunities uh, for their kids to be able to uh, to stay in their community. And they wanted some opportunity even in technology jobs for their kids. But uh, the Carl Sandburg Community College uh, needed partnerships with the tech companies. We're trying to facilitate one uh, with Google where they would pay a $5,000 stipend to get an 18-month uh, credential and have some jobs. Uh, but the bottom line is that for 20 years, we really ignored, in my view, places like Gillsburg, Illinois. Uh, and they're not going to get a semiconductor fab there, but we have to have some uh, strategy. Uh, for what a town like that or community like that uh, should have for economic prosperity. And we can't just say, well, let the free market make, do whatever it wants to do. Or we're basically saying we don't care about towns like Gillsburg. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Congressman Ro Khanna about uh, his book, Dignity in a Digital Age. 
We will get to you as well when we come back on social and on the phones. Robert and Ron in Detroit, Ruby in Ferndale, you are up first. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll include you that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Ro Khanna. He is a congressman who represents Silicon Valley. He's got a book out called Dignity in a Digital Age, Making Tech Work for All of Us. We're talking about uh, the importance of expanding opportunity in this new tech-powered economy beyond the coast and into places like Michigan and Detroit, the Midwest, rural places, uh, small towns. We want to hear from you as well during the conversation, uh, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Uh, let's start with, on the phones with Robert. Uh, Robert, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Congressman Connor. Uh, thank you both for this conversation. I think it's really important. Um, you know, Silicon Valley is really an outgrowth of the universities that are that are kind of prominent out in that area. And I'm wondering what we can do here in Detroit um, as far as higher education to, you know, encourage that uh, growth along with what can local governments do to stop the brain drain. Hmm. Serves us no good to educate everyone, and they migrate west and east. So yeah. thank you, and I'll take my comments off. Robert, great great question, great subject to bring up. Uh, we talk all the time here in Detroit, and especially on this show, about the fact that we still spend more incarcerating people in the state of Michigan than we do educating them. That's one that's one answer to your question uh, in terms of the kind of prioritization that we have here. But uh, Ro Khanna, talk about uh, the importance of education in this equation and why uh, the coasts have been able to do what they're, what they're doing. Well, the Mich- Michigan has a, a extraordinary uh, colleges and, and universities, obviously Michigan State, the University of Michigan, University of Michigan and Dearborn and Flint. Uh, you have uh, uh, the uh, Michigan Technical University, Michigan Tech, which I visited. The, the challenge, I think, is twofold. Uh, one, it's to uh, make sure that they're partnering uh, with industry to have credentials, even for those who may not want a four-year degree. Uh, two, that it is uh, affordable. I mean, this is why I'm for free uh, public college and make that case in, in the book. You know, at Berkeley, uh, when people were going there at the height of the Silicon, uh, Silicon Valley's growth, it used to cost maybe 500 bucks a year to, to get a full uh, education. And so the costs have been astronomical. And then the third thing is uh, a, a willingness to, to look at the comparative advantages of a place like Michigan. I would say that the comparative advantage in a place like Silicon Valley is that there's a lot of risk capital. Uh, people who have wealth are willing to take bets uh, even on things that are improbable. And many investors in places like Michigan may be more traditional the flip side of that is the retention in a place like Michigan is much higher for employees. They not, aren't, uh, there's a sense of loyalty uh, and, and work ethic. And so the question is, how do we look at what the assets are uh, in a place like Michigan uh, and make sure that that's attracting uh, investment and uh, that we are uh, building on those assets? So yeah. that's a, the start of an answer. But you know, Michigan has extraordinary assets that it can build on. It's it's uh, it shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, and it is about prioritizing those assets and getting, uh, you know, our elected officials to do that to to and to do it in a consistent way. It takes time uh, to to turn something like this in a different direction, and it seems sometimes that uh, 
you know, we go in fits and starts uh, in, in a lot of different directions. Uh, Robert, again, thanks so much for the uh, the call and the, the, the question. Let's go to Ron in Detroit. Ron, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Hello to both of you. Um, up until the pandemic, I was working for a automotive supplier in here in the Detroit area. And the, the company had still has a, a large manufacturing facility that in the past probably would have been, been uh, run by several hundred workers on the, on the factory floor. But now it, it's all robots. I mean, aside from administrative people, the, the operation is run by just 15 people, hmm. five engineers and 10 technicians doing the job of several hundred uh, factory workers. And, and Ron, has this displaced you in terms of work? I mean, has, do you feel like that has put you out of work? Well, I, I'm still a designer. I was a designer for that company. Now I'm a designer working remotely. Well, actually, for a company based in Maryland, but I'm I'm still here here in Detroit, at least for now. Mm-hmm. I hope, mm-hmm. and hopefully, many years to continue. I don't want to move. I would certainly like um, a real design get back to a real design job here in the detroit area yeah yeah uh ron uh absolutely love the the call and and you sharing your experience uh congressman i know we're up against the uh the clock here and uh, i'm gonna have to let you go but i want to give you a chance to respond to what ron's talking absolutely well ron raises a very thoughtful point and that is that what will allow us to bring production back to america is productivity gains robotics uh, and uh, that this could mean uh, less uh, jobs, uh, and how do we create the jobs in production, not just the output? There are a couple points I would say. One, Germany still has uh, 20% of its workforce employed in manufacturing, so we still need people. I mean, look at the steel mill. Uh, a mini mill, which makes about 2 to 3 million tons of product, requires about 1,500 people on their site. Uh, and the larger blast furnaces still employ about 4,000 people. So even with productivity gains, you need people operating the CNC machines and uh, and the production. Uh, the, the second point is that as productivity increases, that should mean uh, an increased wage. So even if a particular plant is uh, employing a fewer people, uh, if those workers are making a higher wage, it'll have a multiplier effect for the community. And if there's one note I would end on, it is uh, precisely this about wealth generation. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for places is even where there is employment, and people keep saying, well, unemployment is at a low number. That employment is often in lower wage jobs. These are not the jobs making 60, 70, 80,000. Mm-hmm. They don't have the same multiplier effect. And we need place-based policy with manufacturing or technology that's going to bring wealth and wealth generation to communities. Hmm. Okay, yeah, Congressman Ro Khanna, it was really great to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thank you. It was real an honor. Pleasure. Yeah. Uh, and we want to continue the conversation here with uh, you, the listeners. We've got a lot of calls uh, lined up and some social media comments. Big Neo on Twitter says, what's needed is to, to increase jobs in the area is to invest more in safe streets, which means more police training. We need to have all of the public schools be world-class places of education. That'll attract citizens to the area and businesses will follow. Uh, Let's go next to Ruby in Ferndale. Ruby, welcome to the show. Are you there, Ruby? Ruby, uh, call us back uh, if if you'd like. Let's go to Amanda in Detroit. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Stephen. I just wanted to say that handing out cheap technologies, uh, you know, when you get the laptops, we've handed out 100 Chromebooks. Chromebooks aren't what they're using Hmm. in industry. Handing out cheap technology without support isn't how, isn't going to do anything to bridge the digital divide. And then trying to say, oh, well, people learn Zoom when they have a telehealth appointment. People don't learn well under pressure. You have to build the infrastructure, put in place 
good technology that reflects industry, give training programs, give people a chance to learn without stress in order to feel comfortable and own own the new technology. Right. That's the only way. If you're always afraid, oh, my God, I'm going to break something because I pressed the button, that's not how you learn. Yeah. Well, and that and, and making all of this uh, an integral part of – schooling from the beginning right i mean i i I agree with you that the the chromebook giveaways are not a great uh tool to to you know lead people to opportunity or to jobs um but but there is something about making sure that people at a really early age get used to the idea of interacting with these machines that you know that do things that people used to do and 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 run our lives and and all these other Things. I think that's a great point, though, Amanda. I'm really glad you called uh, to make it. Uh, let's go next to Haley in Auburn Hills. Haley, what's up? Hi. Uh-huh. I heard the earlier com- callers comment on how uh, on how education, what's the role of higher education in going forth, but how do you think we can approach things like re-education for older workers, for which that's a much more daunting concept it it absolutely is and and here's another example of a place in michigan where we have under invested right i think if you go to other states you see lots more focus on the idea that uh, people may not have a career uh, an entire career in one uh, one area of work anymore that it's very common for people to move from one thing to another as technology changes. Uh, I think other states do a better job in some cases of providing opportunities for people to learn how to do new things, to, to go back to school if that's what's necessary. Uh, you also get industry in, in other states, I think, uh, with the help of government uh, to, to, to provide those kinds of opportunities for their workers in some cases. Uh, again, it's about the focus and consistency, uh, I think, of, of our elected officials that, that we need to, to, to change here. We need to be uh, about this and not just uh, in a temporary way. It needs to be more permanent, it needs to be more sustained, and it needs to be uh, more targeted. Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to switch subjects here. We're going to talk about the race for school board here in the city of Detroit. Uh, Ethan McCooley is a Detroit education reporter at Chalkbeat Detroit, and Sasha Ryan right here at WDET are going to hold a town hall uh, with some of the candidates for Detroit's uh, school board. We're going to talk with them next about what we will learn at that town hall. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. 18 candidates, but only four seats available. That is the situation for the Detroit Public Schools Community District, and its future lies in the hands of Detroit voters on November 8th when they will make decisions about who will lead our public schools. It's a more important public space than people sometimes acknowledge, and it's a race that hasn't gotten as much attention as probably it should. Like all communities since the pandemic hit, the Detroit Public School District has faced a lot of problems related to that pandemic. Things like chronic absenteeism, mental health challenges, and learning loss have really hit Detroit schools pretty hard. Whoever makes up the seven-member board after November is going to have the power to approve contracts and vote on policies that attempt to resolve some of these issues. So what are the priorities for the candidates who are running for school board, who seems poised to fill these four open seats, and why are there so many people running in this election? 
talk about all this, we've got two reporters who will be co-hosting a virtual candidate forum where voters will be able to hear directly from the school board candidates. Sasha Ryan is a producer and reporter for us here at WDET. Sasha, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Stephen. Also, she's here with Ethan Bakuli, who is a Detroit education reporter at Chalkbeat Detroit. He will also uh, be Sasha's co-host for this event. Ethan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Sasha, let's start with this. So why is this race so hot? Why are there so many people who want to be on the Detroit School Board? Well, really, since the creation of the Detroit Public Schools Community District in 2016, the end of state control, there's been a lot of interest. There have been huge races for school board every time it comes around. The very first race had about 70 people competing for the seven seats on the board. So this kind of continues, and there are still a lot of issues from that era that are, are not resolved. And coming out of COVID, there's so many new issues that um, there are just lots of people who want to see change or want to be involved uh, or have specific issues they're really, really passionate about. Um, so I'm half surprised that it's just 18, <laughs> that but just 18. 18 is a, it's a good number. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, Ethan, tell me about some of the issues that the 18 candidates for these four seats are talking about. What's on their minds? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, th I think you alluded to this. Chronic absenteeism probably is one of the top issues. So for those who don't know, that means students are missing 10% or more of the school year. And this past year, Detroit saw roughly 80% uh, for their chronic absenteeism rate. So shocking number. Um, before that, we we're probably around 60% um, pre-pandemic, um, lowering those numbers. Uh, you also might have student enrollment. There have been roughly 3,000 students that have left the district since 2020 um, as the pandemic grew. Uh, we can also look at student mental health. You know, it's a big issue and it's definitely come to the forefront as we've seen just how students are juggling uh, both uh, their daily, daily tasks with uh, academics, but also at the same time um, trying to deal with loss and grief, maybe a family members, relatives, or um, friends during this pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I, Sasha, I wonder, um, you know, there's so much going on right now with schools nationally and people arguing about things like critical race theory, uh, what books belong in libraries. I know that those things are not always uh, what's on Detroit parents' minds or, 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 or Detroit candidates' minds. But I wonder if any of those issues is creeping at all uh, into this race. I, Ethan, you can tell me if you've heard something different. I haven't heard, um, there definitely, you hear references to critical race theory in um, discussions around Detroit, but it's a very different discussion as a majority black district. Um, as a district, uh, I think it's fair to say that's, you know, fairly democratic. Um, there hasn't been a, a passionate debate against teaching history. Um, in fact, the the board and board members, the district itself has taken a really strong position um, to revise, to continue to revise its teaching of history to reflect the experiences of black and brown people mm -hmm. in the city, state and country better. Um, so things like that, you don't see that exactly the same way. And the COVID discussions didn't really work out the same way as they did in suburban and rural um, and in some urban districts and other places in the country. Um, there were, you do see debates around um, services that were related to COVID. The, you know, it's definitely, there was a problem with providing special education services. Mm -hmm. um, there, as, as Ethan mentioned, there's a problem with absenteeism. And so being able to just provide services when um, children were remote. There were really passionate debates about whether the district should be um, open at certain points or completely shut down and what kinds of you know, protections should be in place. Um, and some of those, uh, most of those are pretty muted right now. But they did look different, those yeah, discussions. Yeah. Um, when we talk about COVID and, and COVID restrictions, I mean, the, the, that was a, a pretty 
um, controversial issue here in Detroit as it was in some other places for different reasons here in Detroit than it was uh, other places. What are the candidates saying about that now that we're we're back to all in person, full time in uh, in Detroit? Is this still something people are are talking about? I think so, um, Ethan. You probably yeah. Go ahead, Ethan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't think it's been necessarily at the forefront of discussions. I think, like I said earlier, absenteeism, uh, academic achievement has been a key talking point. I mean, candidates have not been too happy to see where the literacy rates have been across the district. I mean, we saw an increase in students um, three three grades or more below reading level this past year. Um, so it's really been top of mind to address the the learning loss, the academic um, underachievement students um, dealt with, which shouldn't be surprising, you know, given that we were in a pandemic and, you know, it's hard to say that students would be able to learn at the same pace that they were prior hand. But I, I'd say COVID, um, I mean, there's, there's been the issue of just like how effective are the schools cleaning up the school building yeah. um, and just overall, you know, whether or not we're going to have masks coming into the school year in Detroit, um, there's uh, no longer a mask uh, mandate in place uh, since uh, this past July. Yeah, I'm talking with uh, Ethan Bakuli. He's a Detroit education reporter at Chalkbeat Detroit. Also with us is Sasha Ryan, who is a producer and reporter for WDET. She covers a range of issues, including education and labor. They will be the co-hosts for a WDET and Chalkbeat Detroit virtual candidate forum uh, for the Detroit School Board Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30. The event is free to attend, but you need to RSVP to receive the the Zoom information. Uh, We are going to provide a link to where to sign up for this uh, on our website and Detroit Today at WDET. Uh, And again, Sasha and Ethan will be the hosts for that forum. Uh, We want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Are you a student or a parent uh, with ties to the Detroit public schools? Talk about some of the biggest challenges that you see facing the school system now that uh, the pandemic and the restrictions of the pandemic are eased. What are the biggest promises that are being made? What are the things that you see that you feel like uh, give you hope uh, for for the return to some normalcy uh, in, in the school district? Uh, uh, also, what would you improve? What would you do differently? Uh, also give us a sense of what, what you make of this field of 18 uh, who want to be on the school board. Uh, there are four seats, 18 people. Uh, how are you sorting through that and making your decisions before we get to uh, vote on November 8th? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Okay, this is what the lineup looks like for uh, the 18 who are running. There are two former board presidents, a few former educators, four incumbents. There are parents and there are some pretty young people even running for these seats. Sasha, give us a sense of uh, who these folks are, what they've done and uh, what they hope to do if they're elected. Yeah, it is a pretty broad field. It's it's uh, very interesting. There are a couple of people who were on the school board in the last phase of state control, which is kind of an interesting thing where there was a school board that didn't really have um, the power to make decisions for the district. It didn't, they were not empowered. Um, the state had all of the power. And mm-hmm. so um, there are a couple of people there. There's uh, one of the former presidents of the current school board running. Um, and the, some some people who are really, really, um, their arguments are very, very strongly against the way the current school board has functioned. Some um, parents and activists who are saying, you know, we want to change so much about what you've done. Um, so it's a, it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting field. Yeah. I mean, I used to cover Detroit schools in the mid-90s, and I remember these, these, uh, these elections Somewhat fondly, somewhat with uh, with nightmarish apprehension. Um, the the uh, you know the politics of the board have changed a lot over over that time. Give us a sense of what the current board is is like, uh, what its relationship is 
to uh, to Superintendent Vitti and and how this election, I guess, plays into into all of that. Mm. E- Ethan, go ahead. Yeah. So um, the current board, it's um, uh, entirely black woman led. Um, uh, as uh, Sasha had mentioned, you have board president Angelique Pearson Masonberry, vice president Deborah Hunter Harville, Georgia Lemons, and Bishop Corletto Vaughn, who are the incumbents. Uh, they seem to have a pretty good relationship uh, with VD. Um, this year, this past year, probably the biggest thing that they were able to achieve was approving this $700 million uh, budget for school infrastructure. Um, that's money coming directly from the federal COVID relief dollars that school districts across the country received. And so that's going to have a huge impact for the next um, roughly half a decade while those constructions are happening. Uh, We'll see Cody and Pershing completely rebuilt into new buildings and um, see HVACs installed into uh, roughly the the majority of the school buildings in the district. So that's just like one of the ways I think in which the the board was able to really work it out with VD. Um, They are continuously um, approving policies that um, are either directly focusing on like uh, teacher contracts or um, specifically just interacting with the staff on a regular basis visiting schools. Uh, I think they just work really well in hand with him. Um, from what I've seen, there's not been really much dissent on the steps that he's made. And in the recent evaluations, they tend to always give him high marks. So, yeah. 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 Uh, Sasha, go ahead. And I think that that is that is actually one of the issues we hear from some of the candidates that they really um, they want to get rid of VD. There, you know, there are people who are like that is the core of their campaign, mm. which is a, a really interesting thing because I think uh, both VD and the board have focused a lot on the idea of culture and reshaping um, the culture of the district after state control and the questions of what. I mean, you know, these are all of these people, essentially, Uh, this board, you know, has this is the history of this district. (laughs) Like, you know, this is a (laughs) very, very young district. And so with the majority of seats, there are only seven seats on this board with the majority up right now. There really could be a lot of changes there. You know, if if uh, the new board doesn't have a good relationship with VD and does want to change the direction of the board, it they have there are four seats to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Give us a call. Let us know how you're looking at this field of 18 for four seats on the Detroit Public School Board. Uh, tell us how you're sorting through the candidates, trying to make choices in in advance of uh, November 8th. Okay, uh, Sasha, t- tell us about uh, the event uh, Thursday, 530 to 7. Uh, what will people learn? Well, it is, it's a virtual event, so it's uh, easy to join where you are. <laughs> um, you do have to register, as uh, Stephen said earlier. Um, it, we've divided the 18 candidates into two panels. So uh, Ethan will moderate one with a student moderator. I will moderate one with a student moderator. And we plan to just um, ask as many questions as we can with such a huge field. <laughs> Um, just basically, you know, why are you doing this? What do you want to change? What is your big concern? And uh, how do you, you know, like what are you going to hit the ground with? What what should we expect from you? Um, we are taking questions from um, the audience. So please do show up with the questions that are important to you. And we will try to get to as many of those as possible. But I think it's, you know, for many of us, and especially in a year with so much going on with elections, um, there aren't a lot of opportunities to get to know people in races like this. And so we, we hope to provide that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's quickly go to the phones here. Elena in Detroit. What's on your mind? Hi. I was just um, reflecting on the change that happened when they went from DPS to DPSCD and something that got very little media coverage and very little discussion was that. DPS was elected by districts, Mm -hmm. and DPSCD went to at-large. And I was elected twice by district with 4,000 votes and 5,000 votes. And then I was defeated with 19,000 votes and 21,000 votes Hmm. in the at-large. So I just wanted to mention that it's very different getting elected at-large, especially for the Latino community, which couldn't have elected a 
city council member. Yeah, I mean, Elena, that's a great point, and and it, you know, I I wasn't a huge fan of the of the switch, um, but but that point that you're making about. Um, you know the Latino population in the city, the the other populations in the city that aren't the majority, um, they don't really get much of an opportunity under under this kind of uh, this kind of structure. Uh, Sasha, are there are there candidates who maybe have a, a better shot? We've only got about a minute left, but to go ahead and address that. Um, I don't know of any, Ethan. <laughs> I don't know. Of I don't any. know. Neither do I. <laughs> no. yeah. I yeah, mean, no, I, I think that's a good point. It's a really, it's a really important, it's a really important point about that switch, which um, you know, um, took away that that chance for. For that kind of representation. Okay, again, 5.30 to 7.30 Thursday, uh, the candidate forum. It's free to attend, but you've got to RSVP to receive the Zoom information to sign in. And we will have a link on our page here at Detroit Today uh, where you can sign up for that. Sasha Ryan and Ethan Bakuli, good luck tomorrow with the candidate forum. And thanks for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we're going to continue talking about November 8th and the elections that are coming up. We're going to talk with analysts about the hottest congressional and state races in Oakland County. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>